0: As we continue in the Gospel of Luke, as in preparing for our Good Friday service and our Easter service, let us look to the Lord once more before we look to his word. Father, we're thankful that you're the God who is not silent, that you speak to us by your word and spirit, and we pray that you would do so this day. Help us, Lord, to have ears that truly hear, but not just to hear, but so that we might do your holy will. This we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Beloved people of God, this morning as we prepare to celebrate the Lord's Supper together, we're going to take a look at a very intimate time of Jesus with his disciples. This is going to be the Passover celebration of the Jews. It is a, a time for remembering that, that mighty work of God in delivering His people from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, the, the king of Egypt. It is truly a picture of salvation in the Old Testament. But we should realize that there's more going on here than just Jesus taking part in a Jewish feast. Jesus is actually the host of this meal. And Jesus says that this is a time that he has longed for. As as I read there in verse 15, then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Now Jesus has been longing for this special time with his disciples. And, and, And the reason why not only has to do with the importance of this feast, But more importantly, it has to do with the reality of this feast. The Passover feast points to the disciples. It points all of us this morning to our Lord Jesus Christ, who is our Passover lamb. 1 Corinthians 5 7. He is our Passover. And so Jesus is going to host this feast with his disciples that points to himself. That points to his coming suffering on the cross. Because Jesus is going to offer up himself for the sins of his people. It's his body that will be broken. It's his blood that will be shed. And he will do this for the sake of his people. He will do this to save us from all of our sins. And yet we should realize that all that is going on here really kind of takes place in the middle of a storm that is swirling around Jesus. The disciples have no idea what's going on. They don't know what's going to happen next. They don't know what's going on around them. The chief priests, remember, and the scribes, they are plotting the death of Jesus. And they're willing to do almost anything to kill him except get caught, except to look guilty doing it. Not only that, but even now, one of the 12 is in on this plot. And so all that is needed is a convenient time for this to take place. All that is needed is for Jesus to get away from the crowds for a time, and then they can pull off their wicked scheme. And that's exactly what's going to happen during the coming night. But it will not happen at this time. During this time when Jesus is celebrating the Passover feast with his disciples. Jesus will not allow anything to stop him from celebrating this very important time together with his disciples. In spite of the betrayal of Judas that is coming, in spite of the denial of Peter that's coming, In spite of the suffering and the humiliation of our Savior that is coming, all of which our Lord Jesus Christ, He knows this is coming. And yet our Lord, He longs to spend this special time with His disciples. We should realize we have a very beautiful picture of the love of Christ for sinners right here. Sinners like ourselves. And really, we can say the same thing as we continue on here about the Lord's Supper. He longs to have this special time with us. So our theme this morning, as you find it there in the bulletin, is that Jesus celebrates his last Passover meal with his disciples. We're going to look at the preparation for the Passover in verses 7 through 13, that, that paragraph. And then the next paragraph, the celebration of the Passover. So preparation for, and then celebration of. <clears throat> now the first thing we see in our text is Jesus is making preparations to celebrate the Passover with his disciples. Even though the plan to kill him has already been set into motion. Even though we know the weight of the cross is already bearing down upon him. Even though he knows what suffering and humiliation lie ahead, Jesus makes these necessary preparations for this special time with his disciples. And the first thing we're told in verse 7, it says, And then then came the day of unleavened bread. So the day of unleavened bread was the day that the children of Israel threw out all of the leaven, all the yeast in their homes. The Feast of Unleavened Bread was the longest of the Jewish Feast. It, it was a feast that lasted from the 14th day to the 21st day of the first month of the Jewish calendar. It was a feast that signified something. It, it was a sign of something. It signified the taking away of sin from God's people. As all the leaven was taken out of the homes of the Israelites, <clears throat> and they only ate bread made with no leaven, without leaven at all, called unleavened bread. <clears throat> Excuse me. And of course, this is what our Lord Jesus Christ came to do. We should realize that. He's, he's the fulfillment of this feast. <clears throat> he came to do away with our sin. So that our sin would be remembered no more. Because Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ, He's the fulfillment of the feast of unleavened bread. Now we're also told something else there in verse 7. And that this was the time when the Passover must be killed. The Passover lamb. And the Feast of the Unleavened Bread really begins with the killing of the Passover lamb. The, the spotless lamb without blemish. One, a male one year old. Was chosen on the 10th day of the month. And then it was killed on the 14th day of the month at twilight. So the feast begins... With the killing of the sacrificial lamb at twilight. Now, in order to do all this, it had to be planned out. Preparations had to be made. And so Jesus sends Peter and John, probably his, probably his two most trusted disciples, to go and take care of this. And he, and he says to them in verse 8, Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat. The Passover feast was supposed to be eaten within the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. So there were preparations that must be made for this meal. The lamb had to be killed. The feast had to be made ready. There was much work that had to be done. And so Peter and John asked Jesus, okay, well, where do you want us to prepare the feast? And the thing that we should notice is how the answer of Jesus to that question is at the same time both definite and indefinite. It's very clear in one sense, and yet at the same time, it's very hidden. So listen to what Jesus says there in verses 10 through 12. And he said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house which he enters. Then you shall say to the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large large furnished upper room. There, make ready. So these instructions that Jesus gives to Peter and John are very clear. But you notice that they really hide the location of the Passover celebration. It even hides the name of the person who owns the place where Jesus is going to celebrate the Passover with his disciples. In other words, no one else knows where this is going to take place except Jesus and the two disciples who will find out when they finally get to Jerusalem and set everything up. And so we read in verse 13, Peter and John, they go into the city of Jerusalem. There they find everything, just as Jesus said they would. And they prepare the Passover. But but you might ask yourself, well, well, why did Jesus send his disciples to do this? Why didn't he just go himself? Why would he send just two of his disciples to do this job, in fact? Well, there's two reasons that we can think of here. The first reason, we have to remember what Jesus was doing at this time. He is preparing for his death, but he's also very busy at this time preaching and teaching in the temple. Every morning he would go to the temple. The people would actually be waiting for him there to teach them more of the word of God. Now Matthew Henry says this, he makes this comment. He says that those who have servants to do work for them are to use their time that this allows for them for the furtherance of the kingdom of God. Now, you, you might think that application is a bit dated, right? But you and I, we, we live in a time that we use all sorts of modern conveniences, don't we? So that we have more time to spend on ourselves. Maybe in leisure or pleasure or whatever. And maybe the, the application really is that we should be using our time-saving appliances or whatever so that we can spend more time on the work of growing in grace, on the work of the kingdom. Because we are all called to redeem the time for the days are evil. But there's something else here that's going on besides the fact that Jesus was using his time wisely, redeeming the time, by using his last hours of his life for preaching and for teaching the people. Because there is another reason that only these two disciples, as they prepare the feast, And what it shows us, the reason that God, he does it this way, because it shows us the all-surpassing greatness of our Lord. That he is truly the God-man, right? That he has knowledge of things which neither we nor his disciples have a clue. And this shows us once again that all of this is not coming to pass in the Gospels by the winds of fate or by the plans of men, What it shows us is that Jesus Christ is very much in control of everything that's going on. He knows where he is headed, to the cross. And he knows when that time will be. And there's nothing that will stop Jesus from accomplishing all that he has planned from coming to pass. Jesus is orchestrating this whole event. He's orchestrating his own crucifixion, his own death his own sacrifice for the sins of his people as our Passover lamb. And you might ask, we might ask, well, why did he do this so secretly? Why didn't he just plainly tell Peter and John where to go, where he wanted to celebrate the Passover? I mean, do you think they needed another proof that he was more than just a man? Uh, Did Jesus need to give them another sign that he was truly the Son of God, the, the Messiah, the Christ? We definitely see those things revealed here, the way this is done. But Jesus is hiding the location for another reason. Because he knew, as we saw last time, last week, that Judas was not only waiting for a convenient time when he might betray Jesus into the hands of the disciples. And he did not want that time to be now. Remember, it was supposed to be when the crowds are no longer around, when Jesus is by himself or just with a few. And so this celebration of the Passover with just his disciples would have been that first convenient time for such an event to take place. But Jesus is not gonna allow that to happen. The betrayal will happen. Jesus will be handed over, but not until the right time. The time he has chosen. The time the Father has chosen. And not until that special time that he has planned with his disciples is over. Because nothing is going to keep Jesus from celebrating the Passover with his disciples. This last Passover, before the reality, before the fulfillment of the Passover, That Passover comes to be. Not the wicked plans of men, not even the unforgivable betrayal of Judas can stop that. Because our Lord Jesus Christ is in control of all of these events. Now now people of God, let's not miss the meaning that's here for us. In this celebration of Jesus with the twelve at the Passover feast. On the day that the Passover lambs of Israel were to be slain, so too the Passover lamb of God will be slain. Before this day is over, and remember that in the Jewish uh, reckoning of of, uh, time, the, the day begins at twilight and ends at twilight the next day. And so on this day, Jesus will suffer and die and be buried in the tomb. He has come for the very purpose of fulfilling all the types that are found in the Old Testament. He is our sin offering. He is our burnt offering. He's our peace offering. But especially our Lord Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb. He's our Passover lamb. Did not the feast of the Passover remind the Jews of their, of their deliverance from the house of bondage in Egypt? More certainly it did. But you see, it was a sign to point them and to point us to the Christ who would redeem us and deliver us from the, the house of bondage, from the bondage of sin by his death upon the cross as our Passover lamb. That's what he's done. Did not the blood of the Passover lamb that was sprinkled on the lentil, remember, the, and the two doorposts of the children, did not remind the children of Israel that God preserved them from the sword of the death angel that he sent upon the Egyptians to kill the firstborn? As it says in Exodus 12, verse 23, For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your house to strike you. At the sight of the blood of the Passover lamb, the Lord stops the destroyer from entering the house to kill the firstborn. And yet this too is a sign that points us to the blood of Christ which is sprinkled upon our hearts to cleanse us from our sin and our guilt which delivers us from the wrath to come. And did not the Passover remind the Jews that none of their fathers were safe from the destroying angel of the Lord on that night unless they actually ate of the lamb that was slain. They must partake of the Passover lamb. They must eat of its sacrifice for them. And of course, that again points us to our Lord Jesus Christ, For that you and I, if we are to receive the benefit of Christ's death upon the cross, we must actually feed upon him by faith. We must receive him into our hearts. Here in Christ is the bread which a man may eat and never die. Here in Christ is that living water which a man may drink and never thirst again. Here in Christ is life, abundant life, eternal life. And outside of him, there is nothing. There's nothing but death. If we reject this Passover lamb, if we reject our Lord Jesus Christ, there is no hope for our souls at all. We're lost. And so, beloved, let's not miss in this section how Jesus Christ has come to fulfill all the scriptures that were spoken concerning him. If you might remember right, that Jesus condemned the Jews for not believing the scriptures of what they said concerning him. In John 5, verses 39 through 40, we read these words. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. He's talking to the Jews about the Old Testament. And when our resurrected Lord spoke to those two disciples on the road to Emmaus, remember, he he opened up the scriptures to them to show them the things that were written in the Old Testament concerning himself. Luke 24, verses 25 through 27. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. These are the things he said which testify of me. And so, if you and I, if we look at the Old Testament and we do not see Christ, If we look at the Old Testament and we do not see the blood of Christ for sinners, then then we're no better than the Jews of this day who still have that veil over their hearts as they read about God in the Old Testament. They've rejected Christ. And their house is left to them desolate, Jesus said. Because you see, Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the plan of God for both the Jews and the Gentiles. And no one can ever come to the Father except through Him. Contrary to what the world might tell you today, there are not many ways to God. Or, you know, well, you can, we can all worship God in our own way, or, we got, actually, we're just all worshiping the same God, right? You cannot even say, you know, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere, because it does matter. In fact, it's a matter of life and death eternal life, and eternal death. And only this Jesus, whom we proclaim, will save you from the wrath that is coming upon all men. Only this Passover lamb will save you from the destroying angel of God. He is our refuge, our only refuge on the day of judgment. And the reason he is is because he's our Passover lamb. He's our Passover lamb. Excuse me. <clears throat> now that evening, <clears throat> after everything is prepared, we're told that Jesus comes to Jerusalem with all twelve of His disciples for this time together eating the Passover feast. This is a time of communion, time of refreshment. From, from the Gospel of John, we know that before the meal, Jesus washed the feet of all his disciples, not only of Peter, who at first resisted, But also the feet of Judas, who would betray him before the night was over. And after Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper as an ongoing ordinance for his church, Jesus does one more thing he drops a bomb on their celebration. The institution of the Lord's Supper begins at verse 14. Jesus reclines at the table, we're told, with his disciples. But notice here how he introduces the Lord's Supper. Look look again what he says there in verses 15 and 16. Then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Now, the first thing that we notice is the intense desire of Jesus to celebrate this Passover meal with his disciples, with them. That phrase, fervent desire, means that he's desired this exceedingly. Again, Matthew Henry has a comment. He says that Jesus, as he's about to leave them, uh, the comfort of this feast will help Jesus. Through his sufferings. The comfort of this feast. Will make it easier for him. And think about it. He is in fact eating the symbol. That he will soon fulfill. And then Henry adds this note. Our gospel Passover. The Lord's Supper. When it is eaten by faith with Jesus Christ will be an excellent preparation for sufferings and trials and even death itself. There's something else going on here as well. Jesus is saying that he will never eat the Passover again. This is the end of it for him. Now now we might think that he means he will eat of it sometime later... But the meaning here is this Passover has come to an end because the fulfillment that he speaks of is not the the reinstitution of the Passover, but rather he's speaking of the wedding feast of the Lamb, which is the final fulfillment of the Passover. The Passover points us to the Lord's Supper where Jesus communes with us even now. But both the Passover and the Lord's Supper, they point us to the wedding feast of the Lamb in glory, The, the fullness of the kingdom of God, when the children of God of all ages will sit down and feast with their God and Savior. This is the same idea we find in verses 17 and 18 about the wine, right? Jesus is showing that this time under the old covenant, it's, it's coming to an end because the shadows are fading away. They're giving way to the reality that is found only in Christ. The Passover is to be no more because Christ is our Passover. He's the fulfillment. He's here. He's with us. But notice this before we move on. Notice Jesus knows that he's going to suffer. He says, you know, he's exceedingly desirous to eat this meal with them before he suffers. He knows what's next. Because you see, the new covenant It can only come with the sacrifice of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He must suffer. He must suffer. Now verses 19 and 20 give us the institution of the Lord's Supper. So let's look at verse 19 and the bread first. And he took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You'll you'll notice that Jesus gives thanks to his Father for the bread. We are always to be thankful to God for his provision for us, for our bodies and for our souls. We're called to be a thankful people. And and that should be the same attitude we have when we come to the Lord's Supper. We, We must come with thankfulness for all that God has done for us in Christ. That To be unthankful. It's really to miss the whole meaning of the feast, of the Lord's Supper here. To be unthankful is to make the Lord's Supper really of no effect for us. We must come with thankfulness in our hearts and thankfulness on our lips. But there's one other thing that Jesus does at this point that's very significant. He breaks the bread, right? The word for broke, he broke the bread, means to break in two or more pieces it's, it's actually a word that's used exclusively for bread in the New Testament. It's the same word that Jesus, is used when Jesus fed the 5,000 after he blessed the bread. He broke it and gave it his, to his disciples who passed it out to the crowd. Uh, the same word is used when, after that resurrection. when Remember the two disciples on the road to Emmaus and they stopped, right? And they've been walking on that road and when they sit down they invite him to, to eat with them and they recognize Jesus when, when he broke the bread. So Jesus takes the bread here, blesses it, breaks it, and gives it to his disciples. Each one receives a piece of the bread. And Jesus says, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So, so Jesus says that this bread... That he's just passed out to his disciples. It it represents his body. Which is about to be sacrificed for them. It it is his body that will be broken for the sake of his people. For our sake. The disciples probably had no idea what Jesus was talking about. Yet Jesus knew exactly what he was talking about. He knew exactly what was going to happen. And look at verse 20 about the cup. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. So Jesus says that the wine in the cup is his blood. He he doesn't mean that he bled himself, gave his disciples his own blood. He's saying that the wine symbolizes, just like the bread symbolizes his body, the wine symbolizes his very own blood. His blood was still in his veins. But very soon, very soon, The blood of Christ was going to be shed for the sins of his people. But I want you to notice there's another modifier of the word blood here. Not only does Jesus call it my blood, he also calls it my blood of the new covenant. And that's a phrase that is pregnant with meaning and promise for us. The phrase actually points back to the words of the prophet in Jeremiah 31 Listen to these words of promise from Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. This is God speaking to his people. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. So so what Jesus is saying here is that his blood is the means of the new covenant. Without the shedding of the blood of Christ, there will be no new covenant. This theme is picked up by the writer of the book of Hebrews who says in chapter 9, verse 15, and for this reason, he, speaking of Christ, is the mediator of a new covenant. How? By means of death. For the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. So Christ, by his death, makes the covenant new. Not really a different covenant, but only he brings it to fullness. He brings it to its consummation, that covenant of redemption in Christ. Christ, by his death, makes the new covenant to be a reality. And yet Christ says one more thing about his blood, doesn't he? He said that his blood is shed for you. The word you is second person plural. He's speaking to his disciples. But he's also speaking to his people. To all the people of God. For whom he is about to shed his blood. So, so you need to grab onto this beloved. Christ shed his blood for you. That's the promise. And that brings us to the bomb that Jesus drops on his disciples in verse 22. But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. And truly the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Now in Jewish culture, this would have been considered an insult of the highest order. To betray someone who's given you food, to betray someone with whom you've just eaten? That's the worst kind of insult imaginable. I think it somewhat explains the complaint of the psalmist in Psalm 41.9. Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. And what this does is it really shows us the terrible depravity of Jesus, Judas here. You know, some, some people try to make Judas to be some, you know, like, Somebody we should pity uh, that he was kind of driven to do what he didn't really want to do or something like that, but that's not true. Judas eats with Jesus and then he betrays him. That where there should have been love and loyalty, there was actually hostility and hatred. So this announcement by Jesus turns this joyous time of remembering the deliverance of God for his people into a time of sorrow. They hear Jesus say this. How can this be? How can this be true? Verse 23, the last verse of our text this morning. Then they began to question among themselves which of them it would, was who would do this thing. According to the parallel passage of them, they each one asked that same question of themselves probably, of each other, of Jesus. Is it I? Am I the one who will do this wicked thing? Am I the one who would actually betray my Lord? So so this announcement by Jesus causes the disciples to, to examine their own hearts in a sense. And they all ask themselves, and they ask Jesus, if they could possibly be the one who would do such a terrible thing. And yet one of them knows that they're not only capable of doing such a thing, but they're actually in the process already of doing this. One of them knows. And so does Jesus. Now, people of God, the, <clears throat> the last time we looked at how close one could be to the kingdom of God and still be on the outside, you might remember that. You could be one of the closest disciples of Jesus, you could be one who has heard Jesus teach, you've seen him do his miracles. You could be a part of the ministry of Jesus preaching and healing and casting out demons in the name of Jesus but unless you're born again by the spirit of God unless you are in Christ unless he makes you a new creature unless he gives you a new heart you will never see the kingdom of God you'll never enter into glory you will never enter into the joy of the Lord This morning we see how Jesus is so unlike ourselves. He not only knows all of this, all these things. He not only purposely goes to the cross for the sake of his people. But we see even here Jesus is very patient with sinners. Even sinners who will never come to him. We should never forget that the free offer of the gospel is for all. All sinners. The gospel is for all. Whether they hear and repent or not. We are called to broadcast the gospel freely. Just like the sower going out to sow seed. Let it fall where it may. The results are not up to us. They're up to God. And think about this. If Jesus warns Judas if if Jesus would call Judas to repentance before he did this this the son of he's called the son of perdition the son of destruction and we should realize there's no one who is outside the free offer of the gospel the call of the gospel everyone needs to hear it you see the reason people are not saved is because they will not come It's not because they're beyond saving. It's not because Christ cannot save. It's not because the gospel's not for them. Our duty is to preach the gospel, as the canon of Dort says, promiscuously to any and to all. Beloved, our text this morning leads us to prepare ourselves for the Lord's Supper. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11:28, 28, but let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And that's what Jesus tells us to do here. Before Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper, he, he brings each of his disciples really to this point of self-examination, right? Is it I? Am I the one who would betray Christ? Am I the one who will not have this man to rule over me? The time of the Lord's Supper is, it's always a time of self-examination. It's a time for us to commit and recommit ourselves as God's people. We could even say it's, it's a time of covenant renewal. But you see, the Lord's Supper is only for those who are in the family of God. It's, it's only for those who know the forgiveness of their sins in Jesus Christ. It's only for those who will deny themselves and take up the cross and follow Jesus. And if that's not you, if that doesn't describe you, then you should not partake of this sacrament. Because if you do, you will be eating and drinking judgment upon yourself. But if you are in Christ, if, you, if you're a believer in Jesus, if you have put your faith and your trust in Him to, to save you from your sins, to save you from the wrath of God that you know you deserve, you're trusting only in his righteousness, not yours, not your own, then know this. Know this, that Jesus longs to meet with you here at his supper. He longs to commune with you. He longs to pour out his grace upon you. And as you partake of this sign and seal of his death, he promises he will strengthen you in your walk with the Lord as you eat his body and drink his blood by faith through the power of the Spirit. So let us come to the Savior who forgives all our iniquities, who heals all our diseases, who redeems our life from destruction who crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercies who offers himself up as our Passover lamb the destroying angel cannot touch those who are covered in the blood of the Passover lamb, our Passover lamb our Lord Jesus Christ He cannot touch those who eat his flesh and drink his blood by faith. Cannot. The Lord protects you. But there's one more thing here. As we see this celebration of the Passover hosted by Jesus, we we actually are, are seeing a shadow, a picture of the great wedding feast of the Lamb, which is still to come. That wedding feast which you and I will all enjoy at the end of the age. And Jesus says he longs for that time to come. And so should we. So should you and I. We should be looking forward to that time when we gather with all the people of God, the redeemed of all ages, a multitude without number, and we sit down with our Savior and Lord and we glorify him and we enjoy him. We commune with him. And there will be no end to it. That's our hope. That's God's promise to us in Christ. That's why we look forward to that which is to come. That's why we pray with the Apostle John. Even so, Lord Jesus, come. For we fervently desire to sit down with him at the wedding feast of the Lamb. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's pray. Truly, Lord, we are so thankful for so great a salvation. Your grace to us in Christ is something we could never conceive of ourselves. Truly, it is something that humbles us It gives us no place to boast, but truly in it we can boast. We can glorify you. You get the glory because you deserve the glory for this great work of salvation. We pray now that as we prepare to partake of this sacrament, Lord, that you would prepare our hearts to receive your grace by faith through your spirit. For we ask it in the name of Christ.